Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $20 on the steel MS-162 or MS-170 chainsaw. Real steel. Offer valid through June 30th, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now save $30 on the American-made steel FS56 RCE trimmer. Real steel. The FS56 RCE is made in America of U.S. and global materials. Offer valid through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Welcome into the NFL on Fox podcast presented by Verizon. I am your host, Dave Hellman. Suppose everywhere else will say happy Halloween. It is Halloween on a Tuesday after all. But here in the confines of this show, what I really want to say is happy trade deadline day. It's finally here. The big day. I don't need candy. I don't need to see your costume. Just give me some trades. There were 11 of them on deadline day in 2022. I'll be sorely disappointed if we don't get at least a little bit of madness. It's already kicked off with a few moves after the week eight games on Sunday. We'll get to that. Please, depending on when you're listening to this, I hope this doesn't age poorly. I'm hoping for some fun on this Halloween slash trade deadline day. Before we get too deep into the weeds on hypotheticals, though, there is real live football to talk about coming out of Monday. The Detroit Lions down the Las Vegas Raiders 26 to 14 to wrap up the week eight slate. Maybe the Lions have reason to be annoyed about this. The way this game played out maybe wasn't quite as much of a statement as they probably wanted it to be. But this was a dominant win by Detroit. I don't think the scoreline properly reflects just how little of a chance they gave the Raiders. Yes, there was a brief moment where Marcus Peters had the Raiders in shouting distance with a pick six of Jared Goff. It was short-lived. Lions really in control of this thing from beginning to end. And, and that's the theme of it if you're Detroit. They turned the ball over three times. I already mentioned the Jared Goff pick six. They also had a couple other fumbles, one of which happens inside the five-yard line. Detroit goes one of five in the red zone, turn the ball over right down by the goal line. They also miss a chip shot field goal that would have put the lead even further out of reach at the end of the game. Should have been a 20, 25, 30 point win, but a dominant 12 point win at home, improving them to six and two. I don't think you have too much to feel sad about Lions fans heading into your bye week. They have a two game lead in the NFC North. The closest competitor is Minnesota now at four and four, and it's it's unfortunate. We're not making light of the situation in Minnesota, but the Vikings looking a little less scary in light of the news that Kirk Cousins has, in fact, torn his Achilles. He is out for the year. We'll get to more on that in a minute. Back to the Lions, as if they weren't doing well enough, they rebound from that bad loss 
to the Baltimore Ravens. And the most exciting part about it, forget the missed opportunities, because you'll trade that every single time to finally see a breakout performance from Jameer Gibbs, the rookie running back. He's drafted in the top half of the first round back in the spring. There's all this hype. There's all this expectation on the guy coming out of Alabama. The Lions didn't do a whole lot to quash that when they said they were going to use him in ways nobody's ever used a running back before. Didn't quite come to fruition because of how successful David Montgomery had been running the ball, how much Dan Campbell likes to ground and pound, but David Montgomery has been sidelined by a rib injury these last couple weeks. And in a game that didn't get out of hand so quickly, remember, Lions were down 28-0 before they could blink against Baltimore. But in a neutral script game where Gibbs can get involved, he showed you some stuff, my guys. 26 carries, 152 yards and a touchdown. Added five more catches for 37 yards. Felt like way more than five. Felt like Jameer Gibbs was flirting with 10 receptions on the night. He was just everywhere for Jared Goff and the Lions offense. Just impressive amount of physicality. We know about the speed. If you've watched any of his college tape, you, you've seen it. 27-yard touchdown run against the Raiders. Just dusted a safety. Guy had a good pursuit angle. Just didn't matter. Jameer Gibbs has an extra gear. But I was impressed by the level of physicality. Again, 26 carries. <laughs> Dan Campbell is not afraid to use his running backs in a bit of an old school way. Jameer Gibbs looked plenty up to the task. So sure, plenty of missed opportunities, but the Lions are six and two. They've got a new playmaker in Jameer Gibbs that they can lean on and they get a week off. What's to feel bad about? The Lions have won a fourth straight game in primetime. If you needed any evidence that things are different in Detroit, it's that they're playing on primetime and winning, not something we've seen a whole lot of for the Lions. Raiders, uh, uh, I don't I don't have a whole lot for you. Max Crosby, one of the best defenders in football. I, I love that he gets to show his stuff in prime time because the Raiders are a popular draw. Max Crosby, there was a moment, he, he got the fumble recovery down on the goal line. There was a moment where it seemed like he was going to be able to swing this game all on his own. That is a hard thing to do at the defensive end position, but he's just that good. So good in run support. So good at dominating the line of scrimmage. Eight tackles, a quarterback hit, a tackle for loss. That's about all the good stuff I can muster. The Raiders have won three games. They don't look like a team that's been that comp- competitive. Jimmy Garoppolo, a a woeful night throwing the ball. Six sacks. I'm glad he got out of here without getting hurt. I know that the 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 newsbreakers in the NFL community keep saying the Raiders aren't going to do anything significant. No Devontae Adams trade reportedly on the horizon. Josh Jacobs reportedly saying put. No offense to my Raider bros, but I just selfishly kind of hope that's not true. This is not an entertaining team. It's not a good team. It's not a team that seems like it's going anywhere. Raiders fall to three and five. They do have some winnable games coming up on the horizon. The both of the New York teams coming up next really don't want to watch those football games. Max Crosby, very, very good player. All I have to say about the Las Vegas Raiders, but the Detroit Lions riding high on top of the NFC North heading into their bye week. Let's keep it pushing to the news of the week heading into week nine. And for a second straight week, it's injuries specifically to the quarterback position. Bad day to be a QB on Sunday, five different quarterbacks were knocked out of their games with injuries. 
in both the early and the late slates just to get you through some of the other ones. Kenny Pickett left the Steelers loss to Jacksonville with a rib injury. He is considered day-to-day ongoing evaluation. Steelers on a short week, so we're going to have an answer to it sooner rather than later, but worth watching there to see if Kenny Pickett can go against Tennessee on Thursday night. If he can't, Mitchell Trubisky is the backup in Pittsburgh. Terod Taylor, also with a rib injury. Remember, he was taken to a local hospital during that Jets-Giants game. He's discharged. He's week-to-week with a rib injury of his own. Daniel Jones possibly could return this week. He's been missing for the last few weeks with a neck injury. Quarterback situation in New York, all kinds of banged up. Matthew Stafford has a UCL injury. That's his thumb suffered in the loss to Dallas. Interesting situation to see with the Rams. He's considered day-to-day. He could play against Green Bay, but the Rams have a bye week after that game against the Packers at Lambeau Field. Be interesting to see, do the Rams let him sit for a week knowing that with the bye week, he could have extra rest, get him ready for the games following that. Maybe they say, hey, grit through it. If you can play, you get a week off after that. Sounds like the Rams are going to add a quarterback to that room. Remember, John Wolford, the guy that's been there for years, they tried to get him back, found out he's going to stay in Tampa Bay where he has an active roster spot rather than practice squad. So Rams looking for quarterback help with Matthew Stafford potentially unavailable. Desmond Ritter also was evaluated for a concussion in Atlanta's loss to Tennessee. Arthur Smith not willing to commit to Ritter for this coming week's game. Taylor Heineke replaced him at halftime. We'll see what happens in Atlanta. Of course, all of that is background compared to, unfortunately, the the biggest injury, the biggest bummer of the week, and that is confirming what we figured on Sunday night. That's Kirk Cousins officially has a torn Achilles. He got an MRI in Minneapolis after Sunday's win against Green Bay. And the Vikings now, unfortunately, find themselves in the situation that the New York Jets were in way back in week one, which is... We have a team that can compete, maybe not contend in the Vikings case, but a team that can compete and no quarterback to do anything with. Vikings started their season 0-3, climbed out of that hole 4-4. and They've won four of their last five games. I think they would be one of the hottest teams in the NFL right now if Kirk Cousins were healthy. They've done a lot of this without Justin Jefferson. He's on his way back from a hamstring injury soon. Lot to feel excited about in Minnesota up until this. And it raises an interesting question of what do you do if you are the Minnesota Vikings? What are your options? Rookie Jaron Hall stepped in for Kirk at the end of that game against Green Bay. You're up 24 to 10. He's a fifth round pick out of BYU. It's not as if you're going to ask Jaron Hall to do a whole lot in that game. Be interesting to see what he might look like if they roll with him give him a week to to learn the game plan. He's obviously already been in the offense. It's a trip to play the Falcons in Mercedes-Benz Stadium. Almost called it the Georgia Dome. Hasn't been the Georgia Dome in a minute. Do you roll with him for the time being? It's probably your best bet. Remember, veteran backup Nick Mullins has been on IR for a minute. And then you get started with all of the questions about trading, acquiring quarterbacks. Unfortunately for the Vikings, This isn't a a New York Jets situation where you have eight weeks to figure this out. If the Vikings were going to do it, it would probably have to have happened by now. Remember, depending on when you're listening to this, the trade deadline might have already passed. The Vikings would really have to be decisive 
to acquire somebody else's player in the 48 hour window that they had. I think it's worth noting NFL insider, Adam Schefter during Monday night football suggested. And I think it makes sense that that is very unlikely that the Vikings feel better about their options in house, given the circumstances as opposed to, to what, I mean, some of the names you might've heard are Ryan Tannehill, the Titans veteran dealing with an ankle injury right now and just lost his, or potentially I should say lost his starting job to Will Levis rookie playing phenomenal over the weekend name. I've heard a lot. Jameis Winston came up around the time the Aaron Rodgers injury happened as well. I get it. The saints drafted a rookie in Jake Hayner that could back up Derek Carr. Maybe they try to get something for him. Case Keenum is still in Houston sitting behind CJ Stroud. I've heard the names Andy Dalton and Trey Lance, maybe Cooper Rush in Dallas. I, I don't buy the Dallas ones at all for starters. Cooper Rush is a five and one as a starter for the Cowboys. I don't know why the why Dallas would be willing to get rid of a guy that's helped them so much over the last two years for a guy like Trey Lance who has played so little. And I don't know why Minnesota would give up assets for a guy in Trey Lance that they need to start right now who quite simply doesn't have that many starts to his name. Andy Dalton has already filled in for Bryce Young this season due to injury. I don't know if Carolina wants to take away that insurance policy. I don't necessarily like the options for Minnesota in the trade market. Free agency is the same thing. We're going to keep hearing the name Carson Wentz. I, I suppose I would do that. I mean, Carson Wentz is from North Dakota. It's right next door. Maybe if he's got nothing better going on, but we've got a hefty amount of evidence that suggests it's not going to be a massive, massive improvement. Maybe if Carson Wentz wants to come in and he's willing to sit for a little while and pick things up before he gets into the fray, maybe. Matt Ryan sure doesn't seem like he's planning to leave his broadcasting job. Nick Foles, like, we, we did all this. We, we did all this when Aaron Rodgers got hurt. It feels the same for Minnesota. I understand why the Vikings might feel like it doesn't make sense for them to do anything. And I think I agree. It's an unfortunate situation because with Kirk Cousins, I think this could be a wild card team. Now it doesn't feel anywhere near as likely. On the bright side, what is the long-term outlook for the Vikings? Like, even if they were going to get to the playoffs this year, where do you see this team going? Remember, Kirk is heading for free agency when this season's over. Anyway, it's actually something I want to dive into in much more detail later in the week. I think that's what they call a teaser. So unfortunate situation for the Minnesota Vikings. We can dive into where they're going in the big, big picture later on this week. But right here in 2023, this injury just seems to happen have happened at a position and at a point in the season where there's not too much else they can do besides move forward with the guys that they have. Unfortunately, it wasn't just Kirk and the Vikings. Several other noteworthy injuries worth mentioning as we move into week nine. For starters, Patriots wide receiver Kendrick Bourne confirmed to have torn his ACL in New England's loss to Miami on Sunday. He is done for the year. If you saw the sound coming out of the Patriots organization, you know exactly how bummed out those guys are about losing him. In my opinion, the best thing going about the Patriots offense this season, 400 yards and four touchdowns at the midpoint of the season. It's cut short. Team that didn't have a whole lot going for it offensively loses arguably its biggest piece. Big bummer. Atlanta Falcons, longtime Falcon. Defensive tackle, one of the more underrated defensive tackles in the NFL. Grady Jarrett tears his ACL and the Falcons lost to Tennessee. He's done for the year. 
I don't think it's a coincidence that within hours of getting that news, the Falcons do a minor trade with Philadelphia, the Eagles sending Kentavious Street and a 2025 seventh round pick to Atlanta in exchange for a 2024 six. So a minor draft pick swap and Contavious Street goes to Atlanta to offset the loss of Grady Jarrett. But like I said, one of the more underrated DTs in the NFL out for the year. Not out for the year, but with Thursday night football on the horizon, I also think it's worth noting Minka Fitzpatrick ruled out for Pittsburgh against Tennessee, one of the best safeties in football, got injured against Jacksonville. TBD on how long he's out, but with the Steelers on a short week, they will be without Minka for that game against the Titans. Another one worth watching for the big one on Sunday, Eagles defensive tackle Jalen Carter undergoes an MRI on Monday. He hurt his back in the Eagles win against Washington. Sounds like it's good news. He undergoes an MRI. Eagles feel optimistic that he could be available with Dallas coming to town on Sunday. Nick Sirianni said Monday that the Eagles want to see him get out on the practice field, see how he's moving around. So not officially not officially cleared to play, I suppose, but it at least sounds like decent news for Jalen Carter that he could get to play in his first Cowboys game this weekend. Some more news and notes to get to. Thankfully, not injury-related. Leonard Fournette has a new team, the longtime Tampa Bay Buck running back, also Jacksonville Jaguar, signing to the the Buffalo Bills practice squad. Bills... Running game has been solid this year, but lacking in some crucial areas, particularly short yardage goal line situations. Latavius Murray's been their preferred power back. It doesn't feel like a coincidence to me that Leonard would be signed just a few days after Latavius Murray had five carries for seven yards against Tampa Bay. Murray's only averaged four yards per carry twice this season in eight games. Makes sense that you want to try somebody else. To be fair, Leonard Fournette has at times struggled with that as well. He averaged just three and a half yards per carry for the Bucks last year. But hey, he took some time off. I'm sure he's been working out. I'm sure his legs are fresh. Change of scenery can do you good sometimes. That's, that's what happened with him the first time. He left Jacksonville, looked like his career was on a downturn, and the rest is history as he helped them win that Super Bowl. So excited to see what Leonard Fournette's third act looks like with the Buffalo Bills. Rashawn Gary. Some early morning news coming off of a Packers loss. The Packers edge rusher signs a four-year, $96 million contract extension. Really cool story. It's still, to this point, been less than a year since Gary tore his ACL. Missed the second half of last season. Missed the offseason program. Was not 100% ready for training camp. And lo and behold, the guy has played in every Packers game so far this season. They've slowly been ramping him up. And even with that in mind, even knowing he was coming off of the ACL tear, he's got four and a half sacks already this season. A lone bright spot on an otherwise meh Packers team. Feels just as much like a reward for that hard work and dedication, getting back on the field, not missing a game this year, as it does a common sense move for just a total badass player. Rashawn Gary, really good edge rusher. First round pick all the way back in 2019, cashing in with the Packers in his fourth season. Good for him. Early bit of trade news coming across the wire on Monday afternoon. The Seattle Seahawks traded a second and a fifth round pick to the New York Giants for 
veteran defensive lineman Leonard Williams. We'll get to that a little bit later in the show. We're going to talk in depth about some NFC West teams, but Seahawks sitting on top of the division at the halfway point of the season. I mean, they look around and they say, hey, we got a shot to go for this thing. Leonard Williams, not a, a gaudy counting stat guy, not a guy that's going to rack up double-digit sacks, but a really, really solid, really versatile defensive lineman going to a talented front there in Seattle. An underrated defense in Seattle. Interested to see how that goes. And then speaking of trades, let's wrap up the news and notes. It's trade deadline day. Like I said, hoping for an eventful day. Hopefully this doesn't age too poorly, but on the final day that we can talk about this, let's let's remember some names to know. I know the Tennessee Titans have said half a dozen times already, Derrick Henry, not on the move. Doesn't sound like Giants running back Saquon Barkley is on the move either, but you know, these things happen to be, have a way of being smoke screens from time to time. So until NFL rules mandate that I can't daydream about it anymore. It's worth keeping an eye on. We talked about this with Jay Glazer over the weekend. Washington commanders lose to the Eagles on Sunday. A lot of speculation that either Chase Young or Montez Sweat, the pass rushers, will be traded by the deadline. We'll see which one, if either. I'd be surprised by both, but who knows where they wind up. Worth watching. Brian Burns the blue chip edge rusher in Carolina famously didn't get traded last year for a haul. Does somebody come with a better offer or are the Panthers more willing to listen this year? That's definitely a name to know. feel like we've been over the Broncos names to know a million times at this point, but Jerry Judy and Cortland Sutton, both showing their stuff against the chiefs over the weekend. Is somebody crazy enough to try to pry Patrick Sertan out of Denver Vikings coming out on Monday night saying we're not interested in trading Daniil Hunter. Daniil Hunter, the Vikings edge rusher, leads the league in sacks with 10. He's the first guy to double digits this year. Again, I just, until I don't have to, I don't believe teams that say they don't want to do business. It was a busy trade deadline last year. Hopefully it's entertaining. It's it, it's fun for everybody. It's fun to speculate. It's fun to see how guys mesh up with new teams. It's fun to see teams address their needs. We saw the Eagles do it with Kevin Byard last week. I'm looking forward to it. No idea how many of these, these big name guys are going to get moved, if any of them, but previous history leads me to believe we've got at least one or two more surprises in store before the deadline finally gets here. And then we can be done for another season before the spring. All right. That does it for transactions, for speculation. Let's get to the actual football. I alluded to this on the recap show. Sunday was all about the Bengals and deservedly so, but I wanted to talk about what's going on with the San Francisco 49ers from the hottest team in the league, the most dominant team in the league, two, five, and three, riding a three-game losing streak. A figure, why not dive into what is going on in the Bay Area and who better to talk to than my good buddy, Eric Williams, our NFC West writer. All right, Eric. Well, I, I get it. The the Bengals have looked like an improved team here over the last two or three weeks. There's not necessarily any shame in losing to Cincinnati, but it certainly looks like the 49ers are lacking some punch from that team that was just beating everybody up over the first five weeks of the season. So I mean, we'll, we'll get into the whole team. We can touch on the offense, but particularly on the defensive side of the ball, 400 yards allowed to the Bengals. They've had four games of 350-plus yards allowed. That's twice as many as what the 49ers defense allowed all of last season. 
How did this get so night and day different? What's missing from the San Francisco defense here over the last three weeks? Yeah, that's a good question, Dave. Um, you know, I, I think it obviously starts up front with them. Uh, you know, Nick Bosa has just three sacks on on the year. Uh, during this three-game losing streak that they've, they've had, they've had just five sacks. Uh, Eric Armstead did have two sacks uh, against Burrow, uh, but they just didn't have a consistent pass rush. Uh, they're a team that wants to get there with their front four. They spent a lot of money on those guys. You know, I think it's... It's over $40 million, uh, in terms of the salary cap, which is fifth most in the league. That's going to go up to over $60 million next year, which will be top tops in the league. So uh, the expectation defensively is, you know, Nick Bosa, Javon Hargrave, Eric Armstead, they're going to get there with four and create pa- a pass rush, and then the coverage is going to play off of that. And that just has, hasn't happened over these three weeks. Teams have been able to go up and down the field, as you saw with Burrow, look comfortable for the most part. And because of the time that he had, he was able to find open windows for his receivers like Jamar Chase, and they were able to, to create chunk plays. And it just affected the way that this team usually wins games. They're a team that plays from a defensive mindset, runs the football, and then you know takes play action shots offensively. Uh, and they were never able to get control of that game last week, and that's kind of been the case over the last three weeks. So they have a bye week. They can kind of self-scout, kind of figure things out. They went through a similar situation last year when they were three and four, made the trade for McCaffrey, and then won 10 straight. So they're able to kind of fix things. And um, I think they're hoping to do something similar here. One last thing, Kyle Shanahan did say that the answers to their their what ails them are in the building, basically saying that they didn't feel like they needed to make a trade to add another player to kind of fix what was going on there. We'll see if they do anything before the trade deadline on Tuesday. I kind of appreciate that. Look, I mean, I'm all about being aggressive. I love the Niners' willingness to make trades. They did already trade for Randy Gregory this season. You just mentioned they got McCaffrey last year. But it it is it's kind of refreshing for me to hear Kyle Shanahan be like, hey, 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 we've been talking about how good this roster is for eight weeks. I mean, surely we can fix it with the guys that are on hand, right? Yeah, no doubt. And, and, and you know, we haven't talked about a lot of now, Steve Wilkes is is there for the first time, you know, taking over for D'Amico Ryans. It's going to take him a while to kind of figure out rhythm and, and what works well and, and what doesn't. And I think it's probably better for this team to be experiencing what's happening, you know, right now early enough that they can kind of get things fixed before the second half of the season. And, and they have some tough games coming up, obviously, at Philadelphia. They still haven't played the Seahawks yet. yet they played them twice. Seahawks now is tops in the division. Uh, so it does give them some time to kind of work through what's what's happening defensively. Uh, and, you know, I, I talked to Fred Warner, uh, you know, after the game, and, and he's basically saying they're going to go back to the drawing board and, and try to figure things out during this bye week. One last thing on the defense before we switch to the offense, but something that I've always heard, I mean, it's a cliche for a reason, but defenders will tell you all the time, it's a privilege to pass rush. You have to take care of the the early downs. You have to get teams into favorable pass rushing situations. It doesn't seem like the Niners are doing that. They're allowing an average of 123 rushing yards per game during this losing streak. I guess my question though is, I mean, you mentioned the talent on the front. You just mentioned Fred Warner. It seems like they should have the guys to be better against the run. Do you have any insight into why they've been struggling with that? It's a good question. Um, I think when you look at maybe the defensive tackle play and the kind of guys they have inside, 
the kind of guys that, that want to get up the field and that leaves, you know, gaps and boys in terms of being able to, to run the ball in the middle of that defense. Uh, and it allows those offensive linemen to get to the second level and, and create those those rushing lanes. So perhaps it starts up front with the defensive tackles, just being able, be able to be more stout in the run game so those second level defenders can get downhill. Also, uh, you know, missed tackles. I saw a lot of missed tackles against the Bengals, uh, and that's, you know, allowing for, for more uh, larger gains in the running game. So I think they have to be better just in overall tackling and then maybe a little bit stouter in the middle of that defense. On the other side of the ball, Brock Purdy is getting a crash course in life in the NFL as a quarterback. You know, he's an MVP candidate through the first five weeks of the season. He's getting crushed right now. Six turnovers in the last three games, five of those in the last two. But Eric, I want to pitch you my hot take, which is that I'm, I'm just not sure that Brock Purdy's playing all that awful. I mean, obviously they're not winning games. Obviously, He's been making at least more mistakes than we're used to, but he averaged 12 yards per attempt against Cincinnati. He had some beautiful passes in that game. The the throw to George Kittle down the seam, I hope people don't forget about it just because the 49ers lost that game. I mean, is this a case of just, you know, maybe those turnover-worthy plays we've seen from him before are catching up to him, or, or do you notice a significant downturn in his level of play? Yeah, Dave, we don't want to bring reason to this conversation. Right? <laughs> exactly. Uh, he's a, he's a second year pro and he's making less than a million dollars. You know, the guy that he's he's facing, you know, he's not playing against him, but Joe Burrow is, is one of the highest paid players in the league. So the expectation is Joe Burrow is going to play like that because he should, because he's make, making that kind of money. You know, Brock Purdy should struggle because he was the last pair, player picked in the draft last year. Um, so the, the, the string that he went on and winning 10 straight games is incredible and giving props for that, but inevitably he was going to struggle. Right. And so he's going through that now. Um, I asked him just kind of in those late game situations, kind of, you know, walking that tightrope between playing free so you can make plays, but not being reckless and putting the ball in harm's way. And, And we had talked about earlier when I was on the fact that, he had been very fortunate that he didn't have more interceptions earlier in the season because he certainly put the ball in harm's way and either guys dropped it or, or you know, uh, his receivers were able to knock it down. Now he's he's made some of those 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 turnovers. And so how does he respond? You know, I think he's um he's a pretty strong willed, strong minded person that, that has a strong faith. Um, I think he's also very talented in terms of his ability to throw the football. So we'll see, you know, the more he's in these late game situations, can he slow things down enough uh, to where he, he is not making the mistakes that he's made over the last couple of games and, and play more mistake-free football? And I think the other thing is, is the Niners have to get back to, to being a running football team that plays off of that. They're not a team that's going to, you know, allow Brock to drop back 40 times and sling it around. They need him to throw 20 to 25 times. They need to get control of the game early. Uh, and then play from that mindset. And again, you know, they've shown that they can do that in the past. And and I think they'll they'll get back to doing that again. I definitely get, you know, you get some pushback from fans and I get it. I mean, the Niners have enough talent on offense that they should be successful even without Trent Williams and Debo Samuel. But those are still two really good players that haven't been around these last few games. Niners are in a bye week now. Do you have any sense of of how optimistic they are about getting one or both of those guys in the lineup after the break? 
Yeah, Shanahan said that uh, Williams was pretty close uh, going into the game against the Bengals and, and that, you know, there was a chance that he could play and they just decided to hold him back to be cautious. So I would expect that that Trent's going to be back after the bye. Not sure about Debo. Again, I think when you have a player like Debo that plays as hard as he does and you have to kind of take a long-term approach, you know, he needs to be healthy at the end of the year and in the postseason. So if you have to hold him out for another week or two, um, I think you do that just to make sure that he's good just because he plays pretty reckless in terms of his body, you know, throwing it around, trying to, trying to get extra yards. Um, and, you know, you don't want that shoulder injury to, to linger because you want him to be at his best uh, when the games matter the most, and that's in the postseason. So I wouldn't be surprised maybe if they hold Debo out another week after the bye week. I can hear the Seattle fans saying, hey, we're in first place. Talk about us. And that is, that's totally fair. Seahawks, not only do they get a big win against Cleveland in week eight, they turn around and and make the biggest news of the early part of the week. We'll, we'll see what else happens with the trade deadline. But Seattle trading for New York Giants defensive lineman Leonard Williams, former top 10 draft pick. He's been in New York either with the Jets or Giants his entire career. He goes to Seattle now. Seahawks already signed Frank Clark to help, you know, boost that pass rush. I'm curious what you think Leonard Williams can do for this defensive front. Yeah, I think this is a huge deal for that team. And based on that defense, which has already been playing well the last couple of weeks, you add another interior pass rusher to that group. Uh, you know, obviously they lost to Chen Nuosu for the season with a torn pectoral injury. He was their their, their top pass rusher. But Boy Amafe has stepped up, you know, with Chenna not being there, has a sack in the last five games. Uh, so he's he's kind of picked up his game. They already, you know, had uh, signed Draymond Jones in free agency as an interior pass rush, pass rusher. Jerron Reed is there playing nose. Um, so they have guys, and like you said, Frank Clark uh, comes in there as well uh, to add some juice off the edge. But I think with Leonard Williams, it gives you a guy that you can kind of run games with in the interior in third and obvious situations. Uh, so it's a guy that's going to push the pocket you know, you can run tackle in games. He's experienced uh, also decent, you know, in terms of a run defender uh, and, you know, just gives you more depth for that, for that stretch run that you know, they're going to need. And then another thing is the Niners don't get them. You, know, you keep them away from your division rival, potentially if they're interested, you know, not sure if they're interested or not, but they could use defensive line help as well. And so you keep that person away from San Francisco and add him to to what you're doing already defensively, which is pretty good. Hey, I, I don't know if the Niners were interested either, but you made the point earlier when your quarterback's making like $600,000 or whatever it is, the Niners can probably be in play for whoever they want. So that's a good point. You not only, you know, you add to a strength with that Seattle defense, but you keep them out of San Francisco as well. Eric, it's always such a pleasure talking to you, my friend. Thank you again for the time. Yeah, no problem. Appreciate you having me. All right. We are officially done with week eight, all games out of the way. You know what that means. It's time for the week nine power rankings. Of course, maybe some last minute trades will affect this, but we don't care about that right now. This is how the league stands as we move in to the second half of the season. I want to start it out as usual down at the bottom. We'll start at number 30 with a team that for my money, might be it's the season from hell. I don't. I don't know. There are teams with worse records. I don't know if anybody's having a worse season than the New York Giants. That's why they sit down four spots this week. 
at number 30. I mean, I, just go go look at the box score from the Jets-Giants game. You don't even, people say watch the games. No, no, no. You don't need to watch this game. You can just look at the stats and understand. Giants, it's, it's not all your fault. You're down to your third quarterback in this game. It's raining. It's miserable. I get it. But you just, you look at the different ways the Giants have managed to lose games this year. You look at the mess that is the offensive line. You look at the quarterback situation. You look at the fact that the Giants traded Leonard Williams on Monday. Maybe that's not a white flag, but it certainly seems to indicate that they know where they are. This is an injured team. This is a bad team. This is an unfun team to watch. I feel bad for Brian Dable, for the Giants and their fans. Like, no, I didn't think the Giants were a true contender this year, but I thought it would look better than this, and it just hasn't been, and I'm sorry about that. Speaking of which, they're not going to like this, the Giants fans, but all the way up at 16, let's do the other New York team. That's the Jets, plus four this week. Look, if you look at this thing, if you look at our wonderfully Halloween-themed rankings, do I think the Jets are the 16th best team in the NFL? I'm not convinced, but they climb above four or 500 in one of the ugliest games you'll ever see. They're finding ways to win games. It's not so much the Giants win that puts them up here. For starters, damn near everybody else around them lost. I mean, the Buccaneers are on a three-game losing streak. The Steelers' offense is, is a mess, and their quarterback's hurt. Kirk Cousins is out. The L.A. Rams just got pulverized by Dallas, and their quarterback's hurt. Who's supposed to be above the Jets right now? So it's a classic case of this league being a muddy, muddy mess. But the New York Jets climbed out from a very bad start. They're 4-3 and three now. Their defense gives them a chance in most of their games. And yeah, I think you got to take them seriously as a wild card team. Speaking of which, a lot of the same stuff can be said for my number 14 team, and that is the LA Chargers jumping up four spots after a dominant win against the Bears. I, I can hear you. Yes, who cares about beating up on the Bears? And honestly, I don't. Chargers had fallen all the way down to 18 back-to-back -back losses to Dallas and Kansas City. Does beating up on Chicago really merit them jumping into a playoff spot? Because if seven teams each make the playoffs from each conference, yeah, then 14 is a playoff spot. I don't think so. But again, I challenge you, who, who goes there above them? Atlanta laying a massive egg against a rookie quarterback in week eight. Again, I, I listed all the causes for all these teams. The entire middle of the league not only is mediocre, but a lot of them lost on Sunday. Chargers showed you why people get tricked into falling in love with them. Like there's talent there. And when the offense is on, Justin Herbert looks just as good as anyone. I don't love that. I've got the chargers here, but right now I don't feel like I have a lot of better options. Don't hate me, please. All right, let's move up into the top 10 at number seven. I finally had to punish the San Francisco 49ers. They fall four spots after a third straight loss. It's not even that the Bengals are a bad team. The Bengals, certainly seem to be clicking. I've got them at 11 this week. It's it's three straight losses, three straight losses in which your defense has looked like a shell of the unit we've gotten used to seeing. I can't drop them too far. I'm sorry to my Cowboy people. I refuse to drop the Niners below Dallas when they just thumped the Cowboys 42 to 10 a few weeks ago. If Dallas beats the Eagles this coming weekend, we can talk about it, but I still think the Niners are a really good team. I think their defense can get it sorted out. And as we talked about with Eric earlier in the show, I think 
the offense is just fine. Like they, they've been plenty good, even in some of these losses, I'm not worried about them, but you lose a third straight game. You do need to drop 49ers all the way down at number seven, moving into the top five. The Jacksonville Jaguars are there. Jaguars, Jaguars. I say Jaguars. The longest win streak in the NFL belongs in Duval County. Now that the Kansas City Chiefs have lost, yes, the Jags have won five in a row dating back to that trip to London. They probably need to go every year. The the way that their seasons turn around after they go to London, they've got wins against the Bills. They've been defensive. They've been offensive. Offense still probably not clicking to the degree you want it to, but considering the conditions in Pittsburgh, I thought Trevor Lawrence played a really nice game to get a road win against the Steelers. They get a well-deserved week off, and if you don't agree with them being top five, they'll have a chance to show their stuff against none other than San Francisco coming up in a couple weeks. That'll be a lot of fun. Jaguars at number five. Now, with losses... All over the top five, Kansas City going down. Who takes the number two spot? I've got the Baltimore Ravens at plus two. Really weird game against Arizona. Never felt like the Ravens were going to lose it, but they couldn't put it away either. But in a week where the Chiefs lose, the Niners lose, I bumped the Ravens up to number two behind Philadelphia, obviously. My Eagles fans, yes, you have one loss. You're the only one lost team in the league. Of course, you're number one, but... The Ravens with a marquee win against Detroit that looks better and better. Lions improving to six and two. Both of the Ravens' losses are fluky as hell. They lose in overtime to the Colts after some questionable officiating calls. They lose. There won't be a stupider loss this year than the Ravens' loss to Pittsburgh. It never should have happened. I'm not saying they should be undefeated. I get it. These things happen, but Ravens. Plenty to feel good about. The offense is good even when everything's not clicking. Defense is one of the most dominant in the league. Yeah, Ravens, number two in the NFL. Although the way these things have gone, not necessarily a good spot to be. We'll see how good of a job they do hanging on to it. They have got the Seattle Seahawks this weekend. Just a loaded week nine slate, and we will get into it. Not right now, though. That does it for this show. We will be back to get into all of the news, all of the matchups for week nine. Thank you so much for joining us. Please go find us on Spotify. Go find us on Apple Podcasts. Subscribe to the YouTube. Tell a friend. Tell a family member. Mention us at the PTA meeting. I don't know. Wherever you talk about the NFL, are water coolers still a thing? I'm not necessarily sure, but spread the word. We appreciate the support so much. We love talking ball with y'all. I am Dave. I will catch y'all next time.